if it's not cool. We don't want anything to do with it, right? Well, that's not cool. If it's wonderful, it's cool. But you see, as God's people, we're not here to be cool. We're here to be holy. Now therefore, since modesty has a number of definitions, we're going to draw our definition from the biblical material, from these words and from the context of this particular passage. And this will be, <clears throat> excuse me, this will be our working definition. <clears throat> this will be our working definition throughout our series. Christian modesty is the inner self-government rooted in a proper understanding of one's self before God, which outwardly displays itself in humility and purity from a genuine love for Jesus Christ rather than in self-glorification or self-advertisement. Okay? That's a long one. I understand that. You can get the tape and write it down. But, let's, let's hear it again. <clears throat> Christian modesty is the inner self-government rooted in a proper understanding of one's self before God, which outwardly displays itself in humility and purity from a genuine love for Jesus Christ rather than in self-glorification or self-advertisement. <clears throat> well, now, having considered the definition, and uh, we've looked at the definitions for some time now, let's go on and consider for a few moments the warrant for modesty. The warrant for modesty. Now, there would be those who would say, why in the world would we even talk about the warrant of modesty? And that is because we live in a day that doesn't even like to talk about it. <clears throat> in eternity, modesty is rooted, listen carefully, in the character of God. Amen. In eternity, modesty is rooted in the character of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 tells us, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Brethren, we move forward in the Scriptures and open up the Bible to Revelation 4.8 and we see the same thing taking place in heaven. From Isaiah's vision to John's vision, says the four beasts had each of them six wings about them and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying holy 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come brethren the whole of heaven roars with the glory of God's holiness purity Righteousness, 
goodness, cleanness. God is holy. The angels are not flying around saying, anger, anger, anger. They're not flying around saying, love, love, love. They're saying, holy is the Lord. Brethren, the Creator of heaven and earth is the sovereign and thrice holy God. Modesty is ultimately a reflection of God's holiness. We'll discuss that in greater detail later on. Secondly, in eternity, modesty is also rooted in the eternal purpose of God. Modesty in eternity is also rooted in the eternal purpose of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us this in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, whatever your view of predestination may be, you have to agree with Paul that the focus of it is that those saved according to the sovereign purpose of God are going to be made after the image of Jesus Christ. We're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him. But we shall see Him as He is. Though we may not see that with clarity, now the day is coming when we will. And we are going to reflect what? Broadway, Sunset and Vine? Are we going to reflect what we learn in the hygiene classes at the government schools? What is God's sovereign purpose? It is to make His children like the Lord Jesus Christ, who is holy, harmless, undefiled. Separate from sinners. Now, yes, we're still sinners. We still carry the flesh around. Yes, that's, uh, that's also, that's, that's true. But brethren, God is at work. Each of the Lord's children is being made day by day, shaped by God's sovereign and wise purpose, moved by the Spirit of God, informed by His Holy Word. To what? We're not going to be made like Charles Spurgeon or... Martin Lloyd-Jones or Arthur Pink or any of these men that we love and respect, we're going to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ. God's eternal purpose is to bring that to pass. It will not fail. Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary not to save a people that go on in their sins or that live like the lost bound and dying world, but to set them free and make them 
like Jesus Christ the risen Lord. Holy, pure, undefiled, clean. Therefore, everything about us should speak of that sovereign purpose of a holy God. That includes the way we dress. It is inescapable. It includes the way we speak, the way we think, of course, the way we act. But modern Christianity seems to act like somehow or another clothing got left out of that. Doesn't matter what you wear. The very nature of the words that Paul uses in 1 Timothy defy that thinking. Well, in creation, modesty flows from the commandments of God. In eternity, it's the holy character of God and His sovereign purpose. In time, in history, in creation, modesty flows from God's commandments. We are informed by God that we're to be pure and righteous and holy. Uh, we will explore this in more detail as well in the weeks ahead. But we can simply begin with Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 tonight. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, there would be those that would say, well, now, what in the world does that have to do with modesty? It's got a great deal to do with modesty. Question chapter one, uh, question 137 in the larger catechism says this, Which is the seventh commandment? Answer, the seventh commandment is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Question 138. What are the duties required in the Seventh Commandment? Now listen to the Westminster Assembly. Perhaps the greatest assembly of godly theologians in all of modern history. Answer. The duties required in the Seventh Commandment are chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and others. Hear that? The preservation of it in ourselves and others. Watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses. Temperance. Keeping of chaste company. Modesty in apparel. Shunning all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereunto. Now, brethren, that's an extraordinary answer and one worthy of your consideration. This is what this command of God ultimately reaches to and teaches us. If we are to avoid these sins against our God, there are certain steps we need to take. 
And there are certain preservations that we need to understand. Question 139. What are the sins forbidden in the Seventh Commandment? The sins forbidden in the Seventh Commandment, besides the neglect of the duties required, are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations. Hear that? All unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or listening thereunto, wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel. Now what is it that these great men of God seem to have grasped grasped so very clearly that many of us in the modern church can't lay a hold of? There doesn't seem to be a clear connection. In fact, it seems like modern culturized American Christianity has had a serious disconnect and doesn't seem to realize that what we wear actually has something to do with not only our character within, but can actually be part and parcel of leading to sin. The the assembly goes on to finish out that paragraph by saying, as other sins forbidden, unchaste company, lascivious songs, turn off your radio, books, pictures, dancing, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness, either in ourselves or others. Now, whether you agree with the assembly or not, the point is this. They've understood something that's clearly laid out on the pages of Scripture, as we will see. There's a connection between what we are inside and what we adorn ourselves with on the outside. And there's also a connection between what we wear and ultimately the issue of sin. It can. doesn't mean it always is. But it can. Well, finally, let's consider this evening then the female gender and modesty. We've defined it We've seen that there is a biblical warrant. Uh, The warrant is in eternity, God's holiness and His eternal purpose to make a pure and a holy and a righteous people after the Lord Jesus Christ. And in time and space, it is rooted in God's commands to moral purity. Now, let's consider this third and last heading this evening, the female gender and modesty, you will notice that it says in verse 9, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. The cry very often goes up, well now wait a minute. Doesn't this apply to men too? And the answer is, yes it does. It does. But there's a specific issue being addressed here. And not only is there a specific issue, it is one to which very often the female gender is the weaker to incline. Now, 
I mean, all you have to do generally is look around and you will see that quite obviously women are more concerned with the way they look than men are. There are exceptions. And I'm not saying that this in and of itself is wrong. But what I am saying is that a woman's desire to adorn is clearly something God has put in her makeup. And that's a good thing. But that very good thing, as it is with all of us, can very easily become a weakness that leads to sin. So let me say these three things. First, modesty as a heart problem. Modesty as a heart problem. What should be apparent from all of the definitions that we've looked at is this. Modesty is not first. It is not first an issue of clothing. It isn't. It is primarily an issue of the heart and the condition of that heart. If the heart is right with God, it will govern itself in purity coupled with humility and will express itself modestly. It will govern itself in purity coupled with humility and will express itself modestly. John Calvin observes, quote, Yet we must always begin with the dispositions. You hear that? We must always begin with the dispositions. For where debauchery reigns within, there will be no chastity. And where ambition reigns within, there will be no modesty in outward dress. Close quote. Now he concludes... Listen to his conclusion. Writing in the 1500s, Calvin says, Undoubtedly the dress of a virtuous and godly woman must differ from that of a strumpet. If piety must be testified by works, this profession ought also to be visible in chaste and becoming Dress. Close quote. Well, modesty begins as a heart problem. And it is something, or let me say it this way, it is something that must ultimately be corrected in the heart. It is an issue of the heart first. It is an internal thing before it is an external thing. Secondly, let's consider modesty as a male problem. Modesty as a male problem. Now, I'll do what I can to stay within the limits of time here. Let me simply say tonight, and we'll expand on this in other evenings, if men were not depraved, we wouldn't have the same problem with modesty that we do. If men did not want women dressing lasciviously, fewer of them would do it. The problem with modesty 
begins with men. Now, the reason I'm making this point is because virtually every tract or booklet I ever read on the issue always begins with women. As if somehow or another, it were exclusively a, a female issue. And brethren, it is not. The primary way that purity is preserved is twofold. Number one, elders must establish and practice biblical modesty in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul does here with Timothy, Timothy and as he sets forth in Titus chapter 2. Titus is to speak the things which become sound doctrine so that the aged women will teach the younger women about chasteness, chastity, purity, wholesomeness, goodness. Secondly, purity is preserved when fathers and husbands establish and practice biblical modesty in their homes. Brethren, until these two things happen, it's not going to happen in our churches or our homes. And it is very often the case, and I do not mean to say this offensively, sarcastically, or uh, obnoxiously. Many women simply do not know how to dress because they've never been instructed in what these issues mean. Finally, let's consider modesty as a female problem. In his excellent commentary on the pastoral epistles, George Knight III says that adornment and dress is an area with which women are often concerned and in which there are dangers of immodesty or indiscretion. So, Paul makes that the focal point of his warning and commands women, strong word, commands women to adorn themselves in keeping with their Christian profession and life. Brethren, this is not a matter of simply making up a bunch of legalistic rules. And unfortunately, it can run into that. But because it can run into that, doesn't mean we ignore the issue. It is a real, biblical, practical issue. Notice what he points out. That they're to adorn themselves in keeping with their Christian profession and life. William Mounts makes the same point in his commentary on the pastorals. He says, Paul says that they are to dress in a way that is in keeping with their Christian character and to concentrate on what is most important. While their dress is an issue, their attitude is Paul's true concern. Now, one of the great errors of our day has been to divide internals from externals. And we have people that make that error on both sides. There are people who all that matters to them is the externals. If as long as you're keeping the rules, everything's all right. 
But they miss the issue that there must be a heart and a mind graciously and lovingly instructed and pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ who gives a love for purity. The other error is those who say, internal is all that matter, external just that doesn't count. Forget it. Brethren, that, that flooded into the churches during the 60s. Forget what we look like. Forget what you wear. Forget all that stuff. God's not interested in any of that. The only thing He's interested in is, do you have a heart for Him? Now some of you all have been taught that, one way or another. Both of those positions are wrong. It is that we are to have hearts that display the love of Christ in our external words and apparel and deeds. They all work together to say, I am a child of the Holy God. It's not, oh, I'm better than you. Oh, I'm holier than you. It's, oh, Christ has had mercy on me in His grace. He's given me a heart to love Him and to love His Word and to walk in His purity. Hence, modesty is an element of Christian character and our dress, listen carefully, should make the same profession that we do. What is it that we say? All my sins have been forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been set free by faith in Him. I am declared righteous and His Spirit dwells within me. He's given me a new heart and I walk in His glorious kingdom of free man. He is the Christ of purity and of holiness. He is my Master. He bought me upon the cross. His precious shed blood bought this. And it's His. And now I walk in it and I adorn it to His great glory. George Knight says, while his remarks, meaning Paul's, conform broadly to the conventional diatribe against female extravagance, what is probably foremost in his mind is the impropriety of women exploiting their physical charms on such occasions and also the emotional disturbance they are liable to cause their male fellow worshipers. Close quote. Knight explains that the reason for Paul's prohibition of elaborate hairstyles, ornate jewelry, and extremely expensive clothing becomes clear when one reads in the contemporary literature of the inordinate time, expense, and effort that elaborately braided hair and jewels demanded, not just as ostentatious display, ostentatious display, but also as the mode of dress of courtesans and harlots. It is excess and sensuality that Paul forbids. Close quote. In other words, let me put it on the, on the, the simplest level that I can, brethren. 
when we come here to worship the Holy God, Jesus Christ is the centerpiece, not us. And we're not here to draw people's eyes to how wonderful or how extravagant or how sensual or how lavish our clothing is. We want to come clothed in His precious righteousness. We want to come to encourage and build one another up in the faith. And we do not want to come dressed in such a way as to distract someone from the holy purpose of worshiping the Most High God. Christian women must self-consciously control their hearts and passions instead of arraying themselves elaborately, expensively, or sensuously. If they are modest, they will not draw attention to themselves in the wrong way. Their dress will not say lust or pride or money, but purity, humility, and moderation. Why? Out of love for Christ and edification to those with whom we worship. This is eminently practical, brethren. We are not here to cause one another to stumble. We are here to build one another up in the faith. Brethren, if you think that this is not an important matter, I am still getting calls after three years after publishing my booklet. I'm still getting calls from people in states as far away as the other side of the country who say, I read your booklet. Do the people in your church believe this? We're willing to move there because husbands and fathers want to raise their daughters in an atmosphere and a climate that is pure and not stinking and reeking of fleshliness. Brethren, this is an important matter and one that over the weeks ahead we will prayerfully consider. I ask you especially to pray about these things that we will hear one another clearly, that there will be little or no misunderstanding. You may disagree, but I hope you at least understand Brethren, when we gather, this is Christ's holy covenant community. Let us come with a desire to honor and glorify Him in thought, word, deed, and in modest apparel. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-9663.